I'm going to read from the prophet Micah, chapter 5. So if by any chance you've picked up uh, a church Bible from the, pa- from the back, you'll find it on page 933. Um, if you're looking at it on your own Bible or on your phone, you need Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would open our hearts to hear what you have for us this day. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, I wonder what was going through your mind as you heard this well-known passage. Perhaps memories of countless carol services where these verses come wrapped up in Matthew's account of the visit of the Magi. Perhaps you've even been to Bethlehem. I'm just going to stop for a moment because there is rather an echo on this. Can I do something to help that? Just move it down. Oh, could you just turn it down a little bit, Callum? Thanks. Perhaps you've even been to Bethlehem, and in your mind's eye, you found yourself looking out over the shepherd's fields or manger square. Perhaps the words of a little town of Bethlehem popped up into your mind. Or maybe you simply wondered who this Micah person was, and what his message was all about. So that's where we're going to start, and we'll come to the carol services later. Who was Micah? Well, if you have a Bible and you look to chapter 1 and verse 1 of, of, his, of his book, it tells us that he was speaking during the reigns of three kings of Judah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, which puts him in the second half of the 8th century BC and the beginning of the 7th. He was a contemporary of Isaiah in Jerusalem and of Amos and Hosea in the north. And his message was for both kingdoms, the north and the south, Israel and Judah. As he speaks out 
against a, a society where corruption and hypocrisy are rampant and the poor and helpless are being exploited. And the situation into which he spoke was one of great turmoil. The Assyrians had already captured Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. And now Judah is likewise under threat and the present ruler is being insulted. And into this world comes this extraordinary prophecy of hope. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So the present ruler may be weak and under threat, but God has not forgotten. He has not swept away the promise to David that his line would continue forever. These verses paint for us the picture of a ruler who is to come and the various clues in verses two and four make it clear that he will indeed be a son of David's line. He will come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Why Ephrathah? Well, it's a way of making clear that it is Bethlehem in Judah that's being addressed. At the beginning of the book of Ruth, we hear that Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons were Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. And three generations later, it becomes, of course, the birthplace of the great King David. 1 Samuel 17 tells us now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And so, as Micah's listeners wondered how new life could possibly spring from their current dreadful situation, the little town of Bethlehem becomes a parable. Who would have ever thought that someone as important as David could come from what was such a very insignificant place? Is God really going to do that again? And verse 2 says, yes, that is exactly what will happen. As God sent Samuel to Jesse in Bethlehem and told him, I have provided for myself a king from among his sons, now he declares that from that ancient line will come a ruler for me who will fulfill God's purposes. One who was to come and yet whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. A ruler who existed long before his birth. And then in verse 4, the one who is to be born will take his stand 
and feed God's flock. His role is to shepherd. And this also, of course, echoes back to David who was taken from looking after his father's sheep. Back in Micah chapter 2 and verse 12, God has promised, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. This shepherd who is to come will tend his flock in the strength of the Lord and security and peace are promised. In these verses, Micah is kind of gathering up all his listeners' hopes and longings and invites them to look forward to a future saviour. God's covenant is secure. It may not look like it from current circumstances, but God has promised and God will keep his promise even if it is unexpected. This prophecy is unique to Micah. Bethlehem isn't mentioned anywhere else in the prophets. And as such, it is a messianic promise. One of the texts that the gospel writers reference to interpret who Jesus is. Which is how we come to meet him in our carol services. Matthew tells us that Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who is born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Herod didn't know the answer, but he certainly wanted to find out. So he gathered, we're told, all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? And immediately they answer, in Bethlehem of Judea. And to back this up, they quote a combination of verses 2 and 4 from Micah chapter 5. There are other places too where the gospel writers indicate that on account of this prophecy, the people understood that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. There's an interesting little debate going on in John chapter 7, where Jesus has been teaching. He's in fact been calling, all you who are thirsty, come to me and drink and I will give you living water. And some say, surely he is the Christ. And others ask, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town 
where David lived. As I have spent time reading and praying this passage, the thing that fills me with awe is a renewed insight into God's patience and the infinite care with which he fulfills his plans and his purposes. When Paul lit the Advent candle at the beginning of our worship, Tim uh, prayed a prayer. And in it, we remembered Zechariah and Elizabeth and the preparations for John's birth. John, who would in turn prepare the way for Jesus. But Micah was speaking 800 years earlier. And because he had listened carefully and faithfully shared what he heard, however unlikely his words may have seemed at the time, it meant that the Magi were able to find their way. As one commentator has written, Micah gives us the long view, showing us how carefully, slowly, patiently, God prepares for the revelation of his son, giving us a vision of that long chain of many links, each fragile, each necessary. Advent is a special time when we remember Christ's first coming. And as we have been doing, remembering the care with which it was prepared. But it's also the season when we look forward to his second coming. And it's in this light that I would like to take a few moments to ponder what this passage might have to say to us. First of all, it offers encouragement. These verses remind us that the promise of God's covenant is certain, even if the expression of its fulfillment isn't always predictable. Micah was speaking to a world that was caught up in violence, uncertainty, and economic disruption. And our world, of course, may be very different from his time, but the dynamics are not unlike our own. Micah calls us to see God's faithfulness in surprising ways and to look where we might not expect. These past two COVID years have brought uncertainty and sadness to everyone and fear to many. We may previously have known in theory that we're not in control of our lives, but that's been brought home to us in ways that previously we couldn't have ever imagined. I wonder if we can hear Micah's words, spoken to us of one who will stand and shepherd his flock so that they will live securely the one we know as the Good Shepherd. 
as we remember God's faithfulness over the generations, can we take a few minutes this week to look for his faithfulness in our own lives? Secondly, it offers us a challenge. A challenge to us to live in the light of Christ's second coming. There's a rather beautiful prayer in the funeral service that begins, Grant us, O Lord, the wisdom and the grace to use aright the time that is left to us on earth. As we take heart from God's faithfulness in keeping his promise to come the first time, so Advent offers us the invitation to prepare in the light of the promise that Jesus will come again. And it's rather too easy to lose sight of this because it's such a very long time since he came the first time. And yet in parable after parable, Jesus urged his followers to watch and to wait, to be prepared, to be ready to greet him when he comes, for he surely will. I found that image of the long chain of fragile, necessary links, taking us back through all the years of waiting for the promised Messiah and stretching ahead to the day when he will come again, really helpful. It grabbed my imagination. And last week, here at St Barnabas, we had a lovely example of little links joining together, furthering the kingdom. During the team prayers before the nine o'clock, one of our number felt that someone in the congregation needed prayer for a broken finger. And I confess that as the service was drawing to a close, I looked around and I could see no one with a bandage on their hand. And I thought maybe the message was for somebody at the second service. But I felt I should share it nonetheless and thought no more about it. A while later, someone who hadn't been at that time of prayer but who had heard the invitation at the end of the service, came up and said, oh, Jane, I've just prayed for the finger. Amazing. I spoke with Colleen on Friday. She said she was happy for her story to be shared. She's a sculptor, and her finger, though not broken, has a painful condition that she feared would inhibit her work. As she heard that offer of prayer, She believed it was an invitation for her. She responded, and her finger, though, is no longer causing her pain. Little links, but a beautiful testimony of God's loving care and a reminder that God invites us all to join in and to work with him. So let's just take a moment now to be still to remember Micah's message of hope from 3,000 years ago, to be encouraged and challenged, to accept God's wonderful invitation to join in with his good plans and purposes.